I Make Mad Beats is standing on the precipice of the dawning of a new day in Memphis, Tennessee. In one hand, he holds a beat machine, and in the other, he has the deed to the most sought-after property known as the Orange Mound Tower, worth $50 million. Music producer, film screenwriter, and community leader James Dukes joins us to talk about his award-winning short film, The Devil Will Run. He also talks about teaming up with fellow Memphian Victoria Jones to bring generational wealth back to the black communities in their city. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. Stay with us on the next episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today, today, <laughs> today, we have the ultimate guest on our show. Um, we have producer, ground mover, world shaker, also known as I Make Mad Beats, uh, born James Duke. He is from Memphis, Tennessee, after leaving his home to find infrastructure and creative synergy. He would eventually end up in Manhattan's legendary Quad Studios, where he became a go-to ghost producer and found a new niche in scoring for film and television. He went on to provide music for many companies, including NBC, ABC, HBO, DC Shoes, Oxygen, and more, all the letters. Upon Mm -hmm. returning to Memphis years later, I Make Mad Beats founded the collective Unapologetic. Established in 2015, this company slash label would not only change the landscape of his career as a producer, but also would focus on shifting the culture of the community he was raised in. What's going on, Mr. James, also aka I Make Mad Beats? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, this is great to see you guys, see you all's faces and... Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. You know? We are excited too. This this is a, a very special conversation because yes. it's taking place in your brand new studio. I feel like we're like the inaugural interview for today. Are you are we the first people that you talk to today in your studio? Oh, it's funny. Today I have my very first recording session here. And oh wow. Very first talking to anybody in this kind of capacity to ever happen here. So yeah, absolutely. This is legendary moments for sure. Oh man, history, history in the making. <laughs> yes, in the books. Now, when we initially hit you up, uh, this was after the wonderful viewing of your short film, uh, "The Devil Will Run." Yes. So, this conversation is gonna ex- it's gonna cross over a lot of what you are, uh, what you've done in the community and what you do in the art world, but we're going to start with your short film first. So for those who don't know and have been living under a rock, uh, (laughs) 
I Made Mad Beats partnered up with um, Noah Glenn uh, to co-write and narrate the short film, The Devil Will Run, which is a a quick synopsis is of a young boy who discovers a small hole in his backyard and he fears it may be where the devil gets in and out. So with the help of a friend, he learns to stand up for himself. Um, and this film, it premiered at the Indie Memphis Film Festival uh, last year, where it received both the jury and audience awards for the best hometowner narrative short and is currently playing in film festivals and will be available online in 2022. So we want to talk about that. Um, so you uh, co-wrote and narrated this film with Noah Glenn. What was the inspiration behind The Devil Will Run and how long did it take for you to create it? Yeah, so um, Noah Glenn is a good friend of mine who... Um, you know, he, I met him because uh, he worked for uh, a company called Choose Not a One here, an organization called Choose Not a One. Um, and they tend to highlight cool things happening in Memphis. And they came to interview me in my studio one day. And uh, we kind of, you know, just realized we listened to the same producers and rappers and stuff like that. And, um, and just, we just kind of became friends on that, on that vibe. Um, he started a podcast that would um, his intentions for the podcast were to um, essentially talk to adults who had uh, unique memories of being a child and um, and find ways to use those memories to like help kids. And, um, and so he was just kind of doing some like, I guess, you know, market research. And he was just kind of talking to friends about their childhoods and things that they had done that was interesting or you know emotionally um interesting and uh he reached out to me he came through one day and he uh he asked me you know like what's what's a memory in your childhood that um that you laugh at or that you find sometimes unexplainable uh, in terms of how you felt or whatever and um and I told him I was like man there was this hole in my yard that I thought I thought the devil lived in this hole <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, I, you know, I, and he he just laughed. He kind of laughed and was like, why'd you think that? And to be honest, I don't know why I thought that. I mean, I, my dad, you know, he definitely had us in the church all the time because he was in the church all the time. He sang in the choir and everything. Um, so, you know, I looked, there was this hole in the backyard where when you look at it, I couldn't see the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And everything else I had ever, you know, there, I could see the bottom of things, you know. But in this hole, no matter how close I got to it, it just looked like this never ending hole. And I was like, yo, this got to be where Satan, like whenever he comes to the earth, this is how he gets in, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I, I, you know, so he was so intrigued by that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So he just laughed and he just kept asking me questions about it. Like why? And, you know, just kept asking me questions about that part of my life. And to be quite honest, I had told this story to a few people um just throughout my life and every time i said it people would just be like yo you wild bro like you know it's a devil in your yard people just looked at me like i was whatever and it just kind of shrugged it off but his level of like interest in it was just extremely high um and then we ended up talking about a whole bunch of other things and that was that um and then literally like a year later 
the pandemic had started. Um, all things 2020 hit, um, including, you know, the, the social and political movements that happened. Um, and, you know, just full disclosure, I've been dealing with a health issue that kind of sprung on me about two years ago that, um, you know, kind of changed my life. It didn't, I mean, it definitely changed my life. Um, and so I was right in the dawn of that health issue. And, um, you know, I, I was, honestly, I was in a very dark place. Um, I just wasn't, I wasn't believing the greatest things. And uh, I was contemplating some dark things. And um, I just get this call from Noah. He's like, hey, man, remember that story you told me last year? And I was like, the one about the hole in the yard? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He's like, man, I've really been playing that a lot. Apparently he looped it because he recorded it when we had the conversation. Mm-hmm. So apparently he looped it. He just had it on loop, like while he was washing the dishes and doing random stuff. And he was like, man, I'd like to make a short film out of that. Um, and I was like, okay, I mean... I guess, you know, let's, let's talk about it. And, uh, you know, he kind of sent through a rough draft of a script that he had, you know, built around my story and, and kind of, you know, and then we just kind of backed and forth, back and forth about like happenings and ways to make the context work. And, um, but he had taken like literal phrases and sentences from me telling the story as the narration for this movie um and of course we're making this like at this point it's 2020 and we don't know if the murder hornet's gonna come through and kill us all off we don't know what's about to happen Mm -hmm. um murder hornets that was just so ridiculous like (laughs) That was, that was peak pandemic right yes. there. It was like, what is next? <laughs> um, yeah, but we're, you know, we're, uh, we don't know what's next, but we are aware that in order to kind of create this and shoot this, um, you know, we, we have to move with caution. And most of the story takes place outside. Mm-hmm. And it was starting to get real cold in Memphis. Um, so we pushed it back. We pushed back production for another six months until the spring. Um, and by then, we had a better understanding of COVID. We had a better understanding of how to keep it safe, uh, being outside, uh, you know, just the whole, all the protocols to make sure that, because we, especially because we were pulling kids in, yeah. that, that this was as safe as it could be. Um, we pulled in uh, uh, a designer and set, a set designer and Catherine Patton. Uh, we pulled in uh, Andrew Fleming as our DP, director of photography. And we just pulled together a real all-star team of skilled assassins. Um, you know, and then me and Noah just focused on keeping the vision true to my childhood as well as... Um, it was really important to us that the film be from the perspective of a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not, not adults interpretation right of a seven-year-old you know and so that required me to just really dig deep in how I felt in these moments which was lucky which of which I was lucky about because a big part in my opinion a big part of being an artist is tapping into your childhood consistently 
Because that's when you're just, everything's new. You're the most curious. You're the most innocent. And your thoughts are not ran down by society yet. Um, and so I tend to keep that very protected in a secret vault. Um, and so I can kind of get to it with, with, with ease. Um, and so that, you know, once we actually shot it, we actually shot it and went to, and, and then went through the edit. Man, probably in like three weeks. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Was this early? This was early in 2021 when you all shot? We, st- we started shooting it in May, April or May of 2021. When did it, when did the Indie Festival happen? It, that happened in November. November, wow. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened in November. Um, but we actually had to turn it in by like the summertime. Um, and so we were literally... I was scoring it and he was doing the edits literally down to the wire. Um, you know, different versions of the score, this version of the score got strings. This one only has piano. We, we were just like going in down to the wire and literally up until like the last hours when we turned it in. Oh, um, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I was, I was hooked in that story. Cause you know why I'm Filipino. We had, we have a, we have a monster that lives inside a hole. Oh, so, so I was like, man, I think this guy knows about my childhood. <laughs> you know, we, we call it Nunu Sapunso. It's like this little elfish looking devil thing that lives inside a hole. And I'm like, he's right. The boy. A, I'm trying to learn all about that. I need a link, YouTube, something. I need to know more about that. Yeah, we'll you- pick you up with all the details on that. One. So if you if if you want to like a, a quick like um you know like synopsis summary of what this is it's in in netflix it's called trese it's like an animation of a comic book a filipino comic book and they explain all the monsters and one of them lives inside a hole wow it's a dope series you should definitely check it out is it gets trese Trese. yes t-r-e-s-e And it gives you like the old school uh, comic, like uh, cartoon vibes, kind of like early Batman kind of feel to it. Yeah, it's really dope. Yes, that's why I was I was hooked. And then you put on the music, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is my childhood!" So <laughs> <laughs> all those people that laughed at you, yeah, haven't been us, haven't been us, haven't walked, haven't walked what we walked. Hey, maybe I'm like Filipino in some like lost like situation. Like I don't know. I might I might be connected. You know what I mean? Like, might be. Maybe uh, might be, maybe one of my ancestors was like James. Right. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> so I was like, so Veronica was like, you don't need to tell me no more. We're watching this. We're watching this. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what's so, up. So this short film was not the first that you have been part of. In 2018, rapper Blitz the Ambassador debuted his first short film, The Burial of Kojo, which he helped produce music for. You have also produced music for Blitz outside of the film project. What is your relationship with Blitz the Ambassador and how did you come about about this unique opportunity? Well, I I did. Okay, so let me me back up. I I haven't really worked with him outside of that project. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've, I've known Blitz since... 2007 or 8 you know um 
And it was really just because he he works like his main producer was my guy Optics, who was also in Orlando. Also, you know, that was my homie. You know, what I'm saying you know Optics, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, Optics. Him and I, we lived in Brooklyn together, and we were not together, but we lived in Brooklyn at the same time. And so we would always find each other in each other's spaces. And he's just an amazing producer. So I would just go over there and get inspired to come home. He would come through and get inspired and go home and. You know, that's the kind of relationship we had. And uh, he worked with Blitz a lot. And Blitz always had this amazing vision for performances, just full-on bands and just crazy trumpets. And everything he did was, like, high production value. Like, it was so clear how much he believed in, like, the presentation of his music. Um, so I met Blitz through Optics. Um, one day... I can't remember how I, you know, I was an engineer at quad studios in Manhattan. And so I knew cool people mm. all, you know, from, I knew people. And so I remember one night somebody gave me tickets to a roots jam session. Wow. Um, yeah. Somebody gave me tickets, you know, Nemo, we got you, bro. We got tickets for the roots jam session. It's down on, I just remember it was on like the lower East side. Actually, it was on the west side. Sorry, it was on the lower west side. And um, and I had, you know, a couple of tickets or whatever. And um, I don't know how this happened, but Optics ended up hitting me up and being like, yo, you got any spare tickets to to that to the to that Roots Jam session? I was like, yo, I got one more because my my then girlfriend, now wife, was not available to to roll with me. And I, I'm thinking he's about to ask me to roll. He's like, nah, man, you know, Blitz is trying to roll through. You know, he wanted to see if he could roll with you and blah, blah, blah. I was like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I rock with Bliss. Let's go. We ended up spending like the whole night chilling um, together. Subway. I think we, I, I mean, this part of the story, I don't even know. We ended up at some Warren G show as well. Like, wow. It was a very interesting night. But um, I just know we, we, we chilled a lot that night and we really got a chance to know each other and we got a chance to talk about, um, ambitions and I guess character and um yeah and that was it you know I, I said we we had a great night I said yo you know we got to connect et cetera, et cetera. um yeah and that was like the last time I talked to him for a long time just on some like man that was a cool night type vibes um and then like you know 10 years later or whatever <laughs> you know I'm uh I'm you know I had done some work with optics or whatever and optics hit me up and was like um some of the work that we had did was like, yo, man, Blitz wants to hop on this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, that's the homie. Let's get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I love Blitz. You know what I'm saying? Let's get it. And um, he got on it. He ended up using it um, for the movie. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and it, it really it really happened swiftly like that. You know, he, he shouted me out. He, he sent me with a message and told me, great to hear from you again. I hope everything's good. I know you're down in Memphis now. I see you doing cool things, et cetera, et cetera. I was just like, yeah, man, you're doing cool things too, my guy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, it's good. It's good. It's always cool, man. Like, I, that's one of the coolest things about this part of life is like, it's just cool to have known people for like a decade and you saw them like, you know, and be like, damn, bro, you slick doing it crazy. And then they'd be like, bro, you doing it? We just be like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> um, you know, 
And so, yeah, you know, then his burial Kojo came out and it was all over the place and won these awards. And I'm just like, yeah, like he's really out here. And then the next things happened and it was just like, damn, dog, I'm, I'm glad I legit noticed, man. You know what I'm saying? Like not on some like random, like, yo, I, I DM'd him and we're cool. Like, no, like I legit <laughs> know him um, because man, he's doing amazing stuff. And like, it's just dope as hell because, you know, he just always had that high production visionary outlook on things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember him with the music and I remember he was making noise, he was touring. Um, but then there was like a lull in that where it was like, people were like, what happened with Blitz? Like he kind of, he's kind of not out here doing it as much as he was. He wasn't making blah, 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 blah. He wasn't making the same level of visible moves you know and uh it's just it's just dope to see people keep going yeah and then like come back the way dre did like after death row and now you got aftermath now he's got eminem and Mm -hmm. and kendrick and and he's like oh y'all thought snoop was it nah you know and um you know i i just i got so much admiration for him man he's 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 such an He's such a, a role model for like, you know, keeping your vision high and not letting anybody discourage you. You know, it's 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 something beautiful to watch, like you said, to see people like that you've been in the industry with and and just being creative, even if they're not in music, just they're creative friends and watching them like just blossom and you being able to you know maybe not move at the same pace but both of you all are moving together and just being like yo like look at look at us like what it just started out as a dream and now look at us like doing the damn thing and it's it's really beautiful so I want to pivot the conversation to specifically talking about you as a producer and and what music means and music is, is several things all at once it's a time machine it's a vehicle for change and it can be uh, transformative. And you often talk about the moment when music really began to click for you in those early years and car trips with your father in a way that it, that it, the way that you describe these things, um, it just really feels like all of, all of those descriptors of it being a time machine and such mm-hmm. all at once. Um, and you talk about listening to jazz as a kid. Yeah. And it being like the link to what it is that you are doing now. Will you talk to us more about that early musical connection and and also when you realized this was what you wanted to do as a as a career? Mm. Okay. Um man, I wish my piano was hooked up. Uh <laughs> no, I would just play all right so like i for some reason or another like i just really loved magic as a kid um you know never ended story type vibes like you know anything that was just it just felt like extremely curious and like mysterious you know anything that you know, they just had that feeling of like anything is possible. You know, um, that's what I gravitated towards. So I would, 
when I would listen to music, of course I was a fan of Michael Jackson and you know whoever was was popping, you know, in the in the pop atmosphere, you know. But when I thought about the most magical music to me, it was jazz. I mean, I didn't even know it was jazz at the time. It was just, you know, this is just the music that I like to hear. And my my dad would always play it in the car when he was driving around. I love the the upright bass. Just the way it just felt magical to me. Um, I loved like pianos that like broke rules of like, um, you know, um, music theory, the way jazz did. And, you know, and the way like echoes and delays and things would just create this magical bed that would make you feel like, like some smoke just cleared and like somebody appeared and was like, hello. You know, like that, like those moments, I lived for them. Um, and jazz was the only thing that I think broke the rules enough to do that consistently. And so I just listened to my dad's jazz all the time. Um, then, you know, I remember getting my pops, you know, he, he got us like MC Hammer and shit like that, you know. And, you know, and that was cool. I remember being like, yeah, this is dope. You know, of course, everybody was talking about it. Crisscross. Everybody was talking about it. Cool. But when I heard the low end theory by Tribe Called Quest, you know what I'm saying? Back in the days when I heard that, it was like, oh, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Because every song is jazz. Every song is jazz, but it's rap. Yeah. I was like, this has got that feeling, but it's like rap, you know. Um, what's the excursions? Like, um, I remember I just I fell in love with that tape, particularly. And at and at that point, I was a fan of rap. It wasn't the main thing to me yet. I still listened to like a whole bunch of music and you know whatever. When I got Midnight Marauders, that's what changed my life. <laughs> that, that, and that was, you know, that was, I got that a CD so I could put songs on repeat and shit. Yeah. I remember, I remember getting that. Like, I just remember hearing that and like, you know, um, like you know, I don't know. I might have to peace, suck, nigga, whoever you are. Like I remember hearing, yes. like I remember just being like, yo, and and that's when I knew I was a hip hop hit. That's when I knew that record like solidified to the point where it's like that's there's no telling the story of me without including that, uh, without including that out. When you look back at how it all started for you, where are you now, and what? What do you envision for the future and what comes to mind? Um, well, right now, um, it's funny because right now I'm actually looking for ways to simplify my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I, I feel like I've been a guy with 17 arms for the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> in my head you do <laughs> um 
yeah, you know, I, I just been trying to make things happen. Um, and if I, you know, just to be again, ultra transparent, like, um, I changed my definition of success a few years back and before it was just like, honestly get out of poverty and then stay out of poverty the way I want to, which is as a creative, which is as an artist. Um, and then, you know, I came back to Memphis and, um, I saw that my historically important community had little to no investment in it and hadn't grown nearly as much in investment like the surrounding neighborhoods. So, you know, there were neighborhoods right next to mine that had completely changed and were been cleaned up and everything looks great, you know. Um, but then in my streets, you know, it just it just looked like people forgot about it. You know what I'm saying? So I just I just kind of changed my goals to like if you know if I came through all of this to be good, what's the point of it if I can't help others achieve the same thing? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that opened my doors up to like trying to to being more than just a producer. You know what I'm saying? Like I I realized like there's only a, there's a limited amount of change I can affect through making beats. Um, and so I just began to open my mind and open up my approaches to a variety of ways to affect change. And that required me to change or to grow a lot because, um, you know, when I met Mama Africa, I was the quietest, most, you know, not trying to talk to nobody. Um, you know, I just wasn't, I really wasn't good at that. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't. And if I'm being honest, especially with women, like women just, I couldn't have those conversations because I grew up in a house with all men, you know, mm-hmm. and so women were like kind of intimidating to me, to be honest. Like, you know, I didn't know, I had, you know, I tried to talk to women. I approached them the same way I approached men, dapping them up and people just laughing at me. Like, you know, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but, you know, I I just didn't know how to communicate. And so I, I had to get better at that. I had to get better at communicating, talking, expressing my ideas. And once I did that and I began to express my ideas, people started to gravitate towards my ideas and see them like, hey, who is this guy? He he thinks in a cool way, you know? And, um, and yeah, and then once that started to happen, I, I kind of began to let those ideas open doors for me. And those ideas opened a lot of doors for me, more doors than I had hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I have been blessed to build a team uh, who can help handle some of those doors at times, you know, now I'm a dad, you know, my son's about to turn five. Um, I, I, I mean, again, I'm dealing with new health issues uh, that are just requiring me to say, Hey man, like we gotta, we gotta rethink how many, how many hands you're trying to juggle things with, you know? And, uh, and so where, where I am now is uh, I'm aiming to simplify and sim- simplify through so here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. This is where things get interesting. I want to simplify my life, but I, but I am still just as ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not trying to let go of any of my ideas, <laughs> right? Uh, because all of my ideas have a purpose, 
mm-hmm. um, that I think, you know, uh, I'm drawn to. Um, so what that requires me to do is to create systems and to pull in the right people to help further these ideas and leave me where I am best, uh, which is here in, in the studio. Um, and continuing to build uh, and develop the Orange Mountain Tower, which is um, our way of saluting and helping to build and push forward what is the first neighborhood built for by Black people in the United States of America. Um, so yeah, that's that's what that is. But but the only version of me that can do that is a healthy and happy me. Uh, they can do that at the level that I want to. It's a healthy and happy me. And that starts with me in the studio. Right. Uh, um, I'm glad that you 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 mentioned that because I, I had a question um, that I was going to pose later, but I, I feel like it's now to ask it. And that is, what does rest mean for you? Because, you know, like early on watching you, you know, at the beginning of you doing all of this, you know, producing music, and I know the life of a producer, uh, the hours that is with it is sometimes you're up late at night, um, making music. And, you know, back in the day, a lot of people had this like grind mentality, like, you know, you gotta sleep when you're dead. That's, you know, in order for you to get where you want it to be. And now, with you um, talking about like being married and having a son and, you know, you have an entire, not only your personal family, but your extended family with your record label. What does rest look like for you now? Um, What does it mean for you as a black man when you're talking about rest? So I am incredibly conflicted when I have this conversation. Um, Here's why. You know, first of all, at this, I'm all about rest. Uh, you know, I'm all about rest. Uh, I, I'm, I was forcibly uh, put into being all about rest because uh, there was parts of 2020 and 2021 where I just, uh, you know, full, just full disclosure, you know, I have two doctors and one of them thinks I have lupus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the biggest, one of the biggest symptoms of lupus is extreme fatigue. And so most of 2020 and 2021, um, you know, I just spent most of my days in and out of sleep or in and out of sitting in a chair and feeling useless. Like I couldn't do anything, uh, because I was just so tired and so weak all the time. Um, and that, you know, that took that took a lot out of me because I'm so used to being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to you know, being up till 3 a.m., waking up like a few hours later, you know, and getting back to the grind. Um, you know, and so I was forcibly sat down. Big shout outs to God, you know. <laughs> uh, I was forcibly sat down and, and set to recognize, you know, the error in my ways. Um, you know, now I'm doing a little bit better. You know, I've had a little bit better of a coasting um, few months. 
actually only three or four months where I've been feeling decent, to be quite honest. Um, but rest now is, in, is extremely important to me. Um, it's something that, you know, the number one phrase I keep hearing is like, rest is revolutionary, right? And so, you know, I think about rest in that way. Um, I think about, you know, I, I have the most scheduled out, like that was one of the reasons why it was important to get the studio. It was important to get this studio because it created a separation between home and work. And so when I'm at home, I could really be at home. When mm-hmm. I'm at work, I can really be at work, right? And so when I'm at home, it's easier for me to be like, oh, I should get some rest because I'm not feeling that tinge of like anxiety because there's not much separation between home and work. So I'm a thousand percent about rest. I'm a thousand percent about making, listening to my body. Okay, now here's where the conflict comes in. Right now, I can say, man, I need some real rest and a real reset and not work for any day for two months, right? I can do that. And I needed to do that. I absolutely needed to do that. When and I did that, I, I did that, you know, a couple of times in the last two years since all of this started happening. I could do that and value rest because of the success I had when I didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I don't, I feel like just telling people, hey, rest, 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 rest. Be like me. Rest, 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 rest. To me, that's like Oprah saying, hey, guys, this is what I do every day. You should, too. And <laughs> Oprah has $6 trillion. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, and so for me, I'm conflicted because I truly see the value of it. But I also know the thing that opened me up to see the value in it was going hard for years, right? Like I, like I saw the, I saw the true value of rest the very first time I said, y'all not working for a month. And it took me a while to do that. And at the end of that month, I had learned so many things about myself. I learned I had been hiding things. I had not dealt with some things. There were issues in my mind that were, affecting my day-to-day that I was unaware of rest rest allows you to heal and recognize things mm-hmm. you know but I would have never had the space to do that it, it reminds me of my dad you know my dad has a whole bunch of things that he'd never dealt with mm-hmm. but my dad spent 20 years not able to rest like I can rest now because he had to raise us mm-hmm. as a single father in the hood Right. And so what do I look like going to that man and being like, yo, Michael, you should just rest, bro. When was he going to rest? When, when was he going to, when did he have the opportunity to do what I did? Hmm. He, he never had that opportunity to do what I did until, until me and Tarek Zar were gone. Hmm. Right. And then even then he still worked hourly wages. He just retired. He's 60. 
He's 64. He just retired. And now he can sit at home and have the space and the time to consider things that he never did. And so I'm conflicted because I don't know. I know that I want people to rest because I've seen the benefits of it. But I know the Nemo you met. Right? I know the James you met. And the James you met, if today James walked up to him and said, hey, bro, you should try getting more sleep, getting more rest. 2000 and whatever, James, would have been like, you clearly not as broke as me. Shut up. I got to get this money. You living good. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. You feel me? So I'm not trying to hear that. You know, and so to me, you can't really solve the rest issue until you solve the the how steeped in poverty our community is issue. Until you give people better options of life, better options of health care, right? Because let's be clear, our jobs is not just for the money to buy a car or whatever. Our jobs be just so that we can go to the doctor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's it until until you can accurately solve that issue it feels unrealistic to just tell people hey yo dog you should get some rest like because that's not it's not like people i i wasn't not resting because i just thought that was fun like (laughs) i was not resting because i was poor you know, and to, to simplify poverty, like you can just change up how you're living, to me feels very privileged. Right. Yeah. You know? I, I'm I'm glad that you said that. I know right now there has been a movement. There's a specific movement one right now that is called Nap Ministry, mm-hmm. who is advocating for people of color to really find the time. And it, like you you stated, there are so many different um, obstacles that keep us from being able to find that time to sit down and just, you know, even for five minutes, because we know there are a lot of people out there who are working more than one job trying to provide for their family. And they're like, sit down where? Because at five o'clock, I got to go to work. And I'm asleep for like 10 minutes in between those things. And it calls to attention you know, where we are as a nation, when we're talking about, you know, where we find that space to be able to find rest. And earlier tonight, we were talking about how much I wish, and maybe one day, I'm just putting it out in the universe, Lord, that I could have you, and there's a writer named Heather McGee, and she wrote this book called The Sum of Us. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how when we're talking about equality that you cannot get to full true equality without Mm -hmm. white people taking notice of like the things that they are hindering other people from having they're also hindering their own from having as well and Mm -hmm. how this whole conversation works with not only what we just talked about in regards to rest but what it is that you are doing in memphis um with orange mound which we'll touch on on later but it, I know it would be a rich conversation because so much gets missed by that point right there. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you're talking about finding finding that rest and I lost I lost my job in 2019 and the first thing that I thought about was I don't have insurance and I went to the doctor before they cut that shit off I was like let me go and do everything that I can do and just pray that my body does not break down in the meantime and insurance especially now is a lot so you're talking to people who don't have two quarters to rub together to go and sit you know yeah I I used I used to be so insulted when people would tell me um Denny why are you going overtime again as a child of an immigrant I'm gonna punch you in the face because I'm like did you see my parents rest did like my mom works every day and up to this day she's still working yeah and and I am a nurse so I am very glad that you took some rest in the most medical you know term like the most medical rest possible I you know it is hard it is hard for people of color to prioritize themselves because we see a bigger picture and how our lives the people that are connected to us and the world should function right it's like we can't we can't stop until it's right for everybody Mm -hmm. it just can't be about us Mm so but like as a as a mother of like my child is two years old Mm. if i don't get it together i would you know i would either be a burden to my child when he's not yet of the right age to maybe think about oh how should i take care of like my not so old mother who's like degrading Mm. or i'd be gone in the world and he would be motherless Mm. or my husband would would be like a widow yeah so I I feel you on that term of rest that we can't just be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna take a vacation two months in like this private island. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I wish I wish everybody could do that. Mm-hmm. But in order to reach that, there's like financial stuff that needs to be set up. And sometimes the world is against us to mm-hmm. achieve it. That's why I think your story of doing this for Orange Mott really like hits home because I'm like, this is a man that is taking up this responsibility and having this platform for everybody so we can all succeed. Well, that's, that's it. You, you said it perfectly. Uh, you know, I, I think about that all the time. Like I, I have, you know, uh, white friends and just people I know where um man they just never i've i don't think i've ever met and i'm sure that they exist but i don't think i've ever met a white person that had to bring something back to like his family or like his community or they just be out here like i'm successful and that's kind of the end of that like you know uh (laughs) you know and for us and it's you know i'm i'm a black man from memphis but you know i'm also a first generation american my mom is guyanese you know, and so I I have both of those worlds where it's like black man from Memphis. And then at the same time, like my mom grew up in Georgetown in Guyana 
And, you know, between both of them, my, my, my dad working, you know, 70 hours a week at three different jobs, you know, and then my mom just being the most go-getter person ever, you know, um, it just, it, it, it's, that's all you see, you know, that's all you see is get up and go get it, you know, um, and to the point where, you know, I grew up feeling guilty chilling. If, if, even if I had the opportunity to, I felt guilty. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of that there's a lot of that healing and involved in there as well you know but I, I just think that you know again like I don't I I think I'm a, I'm about like one thing that I, I strongly dislike is I strongly dislike um performative actions I, I don't I don't like I don't, I don't like like hey man you know let's this should change yeah this should change but you know, saying that is not all that's necessary for that to change. Right. You know, um, but but you just get this high off of people agreeing with you in that moment, and maybe you got some retweets or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I I despise that. And so for me, if I'm truly trying to give people rest, if I'm truly trying to do my part, because it'll take a whole bunch of us. If I'm truly if I'm truly trying to dedicate my life to doing my part. Well, then what I'm really dedicating my life to is creating some sort of source, avenue, or platform for people to live more whole and happier lives, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that's the goal because that leads to these other things. Anything else is just me, you know, yay, this is not fair. And that's it, you know? Um, you know, so for me, it's like, man, you know, when I think about my community, I think about what I've done in music and and doing in music and how that's given me a voice for people to, you know, listen to what I'm saying. Um, My goal is to create that platform, to create the platform that sets up black people in this black community um, to have in their own neighborhoods and controlled by themselves, the resources and the avenues to uplift themselves in a way that allows them to find the, the pride in ownership of their own autonomy or of their own like existence. Um, and then also to, to benefit themselves in the process in a way that gives them that space to say, you know, it's funny, like there was a time when I, like, I just mathematically had to work all the time. Like that was it. Like in order to make ends meet mathematically quantifiably I had to work all the time. And then there was a time when I didn't, and I had, but I still did. I still worked all the time because it was just, it was trained in me, right? What I did know at the time was that even though here felt like here, mm. I was on the next level, mm-hmm. right? So now I was fighting me here. Mm-hmm. I had to unlearn something, but I wasn't fighting survival right, over right. here, Right. And I think sometimes people are right here and we like, rest, 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 rest. We just, we try to like, you know, say all of these positive and, and, and watch this video and blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? Instead of celebrating, hey, wait a minute. This person has options now. Mm-hmm. Give them some time to recognize you have an option now. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, you're on the next level, mm-hmm. Right. And let them get to the space to where they choose it, because that's when it'll sustain. You just got to drop the seeds, surround them with the fruit, 
you know, and then let them choose it. Because I swear, man, it didn't stick until I chose it. Mm-hmm. It didn't stick until I chose it. And and then and then you chose rest and then you choose rest. And then you kind of look back and you're like, oh, man, you know. I've made it. I made it. Like to me, the, the biggest sign of wealth is options. Right. You know, and I think that a lot of times we're we're preaching. I'm all about communication in a way that works. I think a lot of people are just so focused on communication, but they're not focused on is the way you're communicating setting up comprehension. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Are are you are you just throwing words at somebody and being mad that they're not adhering to it? Right? That might be me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what happens. People are so people are so excited to to represent this new movement and to be like, I'm over here. I'm working smarter, not harder, like you dummies. Like they're so they're so excited about that moment, you know, that they're not realizing you're alienating anybody who needs to hear that, who needs to adhere to this, right? And so you're just so busy shouting at people instead of realizing, okay, I understand your circumstances may not be mine at this moment. What can I do to help those circumstances change? So then you can move to it being a choice. You can feel like you have a choice. Um, and I just feel like unless you're willing to break it down, and I could be wrong, but unless you're willing to break it down to that level of cause and effect, I don't, I'm not really trying to hear what you're saying. Like you just, you just talking to people. Um, we've praised you about Orange Mound and for the people um, that, you know, that are listening um, and might not know about this place. Can you tell us the historical significance of Orange Mound specifically for black people and how vital was it to acquire this space and the urgency to reclaim this land for black people to flourish on? Yeah, Orange Mound is a neighborhood I grew up in. Um, it's the first neighborhood built formed by Black people in the United States of America. Um, and because of that, a lot of what happened in the South, a lot of the motions and where Black people ended up, you know, a lot of people crossed paths or, or had have roots to this neighborhood because of its historic significance uh, in the South. Um and so it is this, it is the neighborhood with the highest level of civic pride and engagement in Memphis. Um, it's also the neighborhood that has seen the least amount of growth since the recession of 2009 mm. um, in the city. Um, uh, it's, I, 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 so much of my family is rooted in that neighborhood. Um, I, my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunts and uncles, um, you know, we're all there. Um, and, you know, uh, on the verge of what is clearly uh, the wave of gentrification, um, kind of sweeping the city. Uh, just, you know, it's we're in that frequency now. Um, you know, just, you know, the way things are going in the country and money is happening. Um, you know, we had an idea, you know, that I knew I wanted space. This was three years ago. I knew I wanted space, um, 
just for my company because again we started all this in a spare room in my house um and i knew i wanted space uh, my partner uh, or a woman who runs a, a nonprofit called at the time called the collective now called tone her name is victoria jones their heaviest hand was in visual arts our heavy hand was in music and our crews kind of was just turned up memphis in a variety of ways and we would cross paths we would share events um we just had a lot of love we just considered ourselves like brother and sister organizations um you know we would always show up at their shows they would show up at our shows it was just always love um we started getting hit up about um occupying space now again i'm from the streets i'm i'm and i'm and i'm 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 from the music world so everything i know is like make a dollar all right you made a dollar cool Use that dollar and let's make $3. Mm. Okay, you made $3, cool. Use that $3 and let's make $10, you know, uh, versus the nonprofit, you know, situation where it's like, um, you know, how can we apply for grants and get this this fundraising flowing in? Um, and so I remember getting hit up by a few nonprofits at the time and they were like, you know, hey James, like you guys' movement is crazy. Yo, we wanna, we want you to come in and activate our spaces. And I just remember being like, what the hell does activate space mean? I don't even know what that means. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> uh, again, all the, all I know is like, you bought a building or you rent a building. That's it. I'm just, I just know straight capitalism. That's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's the American way. This is it. Like, well, you gonna do something? Where's the money? Like. You know, um, and so I started getting hit up, you know, for for these opportunities. And, you know, I'm just getting hit up by white people in white neighborhoods to occupy their spaces. You know, and I'm, I'm from Memphis, fam. You know, you know, we saw what Elvis did with Chuck Berry. We saw like we've seen that dynamic 16 trillion times in Memphis. And this is why in Memphis, on, as a, on a whole, there is a a huge distrust between the black community and the white community because mm-hmm. black people just always feel like what y'all want with us right. what y'all gonna take from us and give me ten dollars because you know i need it to survive you know what i'm saying and then i'm gonna be able to get a meal because i need one and then y'all ass gonna get rich off of something you took from me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is the relationship between black people and white people in memphis and so you know, with these people coming to me and offering me stuff, I was just like, all right, what's going on here? You know what I'm saying? And then I would go talk to Victoria and she was like, you know, same thing's happening with me. Like they reaching out, they saying, we want to activate this space with y'all. Y'all can be here and build here, blah, blah, blah. And they saying all this stuff is for free. And I'm like, uh, hey man, I, I listen to Master P. And Master P said, if a white man offer you a meal, I gotta be worth 10. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, yo, Vic, is what we doing worth 10? Like, is this something we not we're not recognizing here? You know. And so we said, look, if if we can, if what we're doing has the power to empower a community, because clearly we're being used as tools to empower communities, just not ours. Right, right. Right? Where do we want to empower? 
Which mountain? Right? Let's take it back to, to where we came from. Like, let's, let's, if I'm going to empower a neighborhood, let it be mine. Right? Let our, if we're going to pull in a whole bunch of people to want to come and spend money here and come to events here and do some crazy stuff here in a, in a space and enrich what's happening and the cultural significance of it. No, I'm going to do that at the crib. And so Vic and I said, all right, well, we want to build an orange mound. At first, we just we just wanted to move in next to each other orange mound. But then I thought to myself, hey, man, we need to make sure we're not jumpstarting gentrification in our own community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so make a long story really short. Um, that's what turned into building the Orange Mound Tower and creating a relationship with the Orange Mound CDC in a way that allows us to control or allows the community to control who and what comes into these blighted spaces, right? In a way that allows us to make sure that the attention we're bringing to this doesn't mean a Starbucks is going to pop up across the street tomorrow, Mm -hmm. right? Instead, we can make sure spaces that are readily available are sold to people of the neighborhood and up and up and coming uh, entrepreneurs and businesses that'll serve the neighborhood. Um, and so that was the beginnings of the Orange Mount Tower uh, and why we started building that. We chose to build that in this significant um, community. Uh, and then we kind of structured it in a way that the community itself will be able to buy into it and own it and own its growth uh, from a co-op and restorative way. Um, once we did that, you know, everything changed, you know, in terms of, um, us feeling like, all right, this is not, this is not like, we didn't want our intentions to be the road to hell. And we know that that can happen. Um, we knew doing it this way, having the community at it from the launch and and involved and in ownership and using this as a tool to flourish the entire community, not just this being a real estate development where we're just trying to bring everybody to us. And it's not about the guy down the street or the school down the street or all of that stuff, but it's literally about generating money that bleeds out into the community and allows people generational wealth uh later because of it um, and that's the key word right there generational wealth bringing, yeah. it, bringing it back home because you know like you talked about it's like you've had white communities that have become leeches on all things black mm-hmm. in the community and been and then told that your community ain't shit <laughs> there's nothing here they won't do anything in order to help it make it look like it should until they get ready to take take it from us. Right. And that's that's them saying we're making your community look good by taking it from you. Yeah. And and you've lived in Orlando, so you've been, I'm sure, in the Paramore area and you've seen it. And I know like you when you probably come to visit like your brother or whatever and you see the changes that have happened in Paramore and those that continue to happen. Um Paramore being one of um the the oldest blackest uh communities here in orlando has started to suffer through a huge um horrific change of gentrification taking place Mm -hmm. and you know it 
makes me proud to see you do what you are are doing in Memphis. Um, I always feel like whenever anybody that looks like me is doing great, that that their their achievement is my achievement too. And and so seeing you, I'm like, I'm from Memphis too. Look at my people up there doing the damn thing. It 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 just makes me so happy. And what you and Victoria and all the other people who are uh, working with you all to bring the Orange Mound Tower to fruition. Uh, I really hope that you all continue to find nothing but abundance and every obstacle, it moves out of your way in order to bring what it is that you all want to bring to fruition there in Memphis. Um, having a child and just thinking of this legacy that you can and will leave him, what will be your most proudest accomplishment that you cannot wait to share with him? That's a great question. Um, man, I can, I can get emotional on this one. Um, all right. So ah, let me, I can feel it happening. All right. So, you know, um, you know, I think for me, right, so my biggest fear, like the, the probably the thing that has guided so many of my decisions was, uh, let, me, let me preface this by saying, my dad is a superhero. You know, I, I, uh, I think my dad is the realest G of all time. Um, I think about you know, I think of the thing that makes my dad so amazing to me is not that he got everything right. I watched a man fall and get back up. Mm. And he was transparent the whole time. You know, he didn't. He, he you know, I, my dad, he was addicted to crack. And he went away to rehab, he came back. And literally the day he came back, he said, Tarek and James, I was addicted to drugs and now I'm not. And I know we lost our house. We lost everything, you know, but as long as we stay together and we're a team, we can get out of this. And that immediately empowered me. Like I was, um, the number one thing he said to me was that I, that I received was like, Hey, wait a minute. I can, I can play a role in, in like, you know, getting us out of this, you know, like him saying we're a team and we just all got to play our role. In my mind, I'm thinking, great. Like, let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and I'm, I'm at this time I'm eight, you know, and I just remember being like, you know, I'm going to kill my role. Like, I'm, you know, let's get it, you know, and my, my role, the role he gave both of us was to do good in school. You know, he was just like, you know, here's what y'all do. Y'all do in the school because, you know, I need y'all to be smart. And also, if you get into trouble in school, I can't be at work. And then I can't get no money. Like, I need to be able to get this money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so we we so we so all had our, our situations. And on the weekends, we would, you know, we would pray and we would eat dinner together. And so I, I just looked at my dad as... I didn't look at him as somebody who messed up. I looked at my dad as like, he didn't stay down. Mm 
you know. Um, and I remember I, I, I went to college. I went to Orlando. I went to UCF. And I remember the first year I came back, like, just to come back to Memphis to visit, my dad was in this new three-story house. It was bigger than any house I definitely ever lived in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He had, like, four bedrooms and the whole basement, which was the length and width of the entire house, which could have been a whole nother living situation. You know what I'm saying? I remember walking through this, John, and I was like, Bro, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> hold, up, hold, up hold up, because here's the thing is, you know, I got friends and stuff now who are like, yeah, man, they're coming through and visiting me for the first time, right? Because when I was deep in the hood, my friends, you know, they never came by. You know, now we're in this house and friends are coming by and they're like, oh, man, you live in night. I got to be telling, hey, dog, this ain't where I grew up. Don't get it twisted. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? This is not, no, dog. I'm just now seeing this house too. Like, (laughs) ah, man, this is not, this is not how it all happened, you know? Because, because I had told stories like, oh, she's real out here, you know what I'm saying? And I don't want people to think I was lying. Like, you know, um, but just watching him grow and flourish and now he's you know then he was like he bought the same car he had in high school and just was putting it together and polishing it and so to get to nova you know my number one fear as an adult was to like was for him to and it's crazy as much as i admire my dad was for was to put him through what i went through Mm. um and, and there's 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 a few versions there's a few issues that I that I that made my childhood to me um, kind of hard to deal with. It wasn't just growing up poor and in poverty. It was also that like for some odd reason I just really wanted my mom and dad to be together. Mm. You know, I I used to cry about that. You know, going and visiting my mom and then coming to visit my and then being living with my dad. And, man, I just always dreamt about them being together. And like, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be like, you know, stuff I saw on TV. I wanted to come home and my mom had a snack for me and like my dad would come home from work and we would arm wrestle and, you know, I wanted that, you know, um, but you know, my dad, he was 75 hours a week. He worked three different jobs. So we were latchkey kids from the gate, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I was coming home and making my own meals. You know, I was coming home and, you know, figuring it out. I think I became an adult really early. Um, so my goal was like, I wanted my son to be a kid. Mm. You know, I wanted my son, I want my son to be like a boy, you know. Um, and, and I want him to like, um, I, I just, I want him to like, how do I say this? Sometimes he'll just be curling up on the couch with his mom, my wife. And like, I just be ready to cry. Because I've never seen that. I've, I've never, I never experienced that. You know? And so he's, 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 whatever I did, you know, to prepare for these moments, 
he's like living something has no idea he's not he's not like man i got it better than my dad like you know what i'm saying like he he's he's just happy he runs around the house i have to tell him to walk he's so happy all the time you know um when i think about like what i want him to like what i want to tell him and what i want him to get from this It's it's almost like this is gonna sound weird, but I almost never want him to know how good he got it. Like, <laughs> not weird. I have know, heard that. that before. It's not weird. <laughs> you know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you got it. No, it's not weird because like I think when I looked at you and I learned your story, and I was like, man what it is to like leave this legacy for this child because I think because I am I'm a boy mom when I saw your son I'm like little little man you don't know (laughs) you you don't know and like as a as a parent all that all all that you said hits home because those are those are my same fears those are my same goals and when you said, when you said that, and like, it doesn't sound crazy because me and my husband always talk about that too. Mm-hmm. No, we want him to be the happiest, but we don't want him to think that, you know, that this is, this is normal. Like this is, oh, like this is what it is for, for somebody like him too. Like we want him to see everything. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. whatever we have now, we know is temporary is, and it's the work hard work and like blood and tears of my our parents mm-hmm. so I told her respect what you said yeah um you know that's like it's weird you know it, it, it feels weird it's not weird but it feels weird it feels backwards you know but like for me it's like I, 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 the thing I always wanted is I just didn't want him to start where I started, you know, um, which, which I feel like is perpetual. I feel like to some extent minorities, you know, we're, we're the ones who have to go back and, you know, and always be concerned with the people around us. You know what I'm saying? And, um, by the way, I think that's just the way it should be. I, I honestly think that not thinking that way is something is up. Like, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I I just want him to. I want him to know that. Um, I want him to know the same thing I think I learned from my dad, which was that I his father set a goal. And it happened, you know, and that it was a long way to it. But your father wanted this goal. That was it, you know. Um, that's what I learned from my dad. You know, I I, rem- I remember, like again, my dad kept it real with me. We went to his meetings and everything. Like we, I remember the you know we were in this apartment that was the worst ever (laughs) 
you know, and uh, and I remember my dad would drive us by this townhouse. He'd be like, yo, I'm applying for this townhouse. I know somebody who knows somebody. We can, we might be able to get into it. We just all got to pray hard. And we would literally get home and hold hands and pray for weeks. And then we would get denied. And then my dad would be like, don't worry. We're still going to make it. We're still going to do it. Don't give up. We just got to keep going. Stay, stay on your job. You know, your job is to do good at school, blah, 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 whatever, you know, and like, um, you know, I just, I, I watched him take punches for years, you know, and now both of his sons, you know, I mean, we're doing all right. You know, I think we're doing okay. You know, I, I look at my brother. Uh, he's he's got a new pair of sneakers every six minutes. He's uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying like he's out here. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, you know he's he's doing all right. He's he's raising his kids and you know he he's um he's good. You know he turned into a, a role model. You know in his own right. You know he works at. It's funny. I, I think about it all the time. Like you know we neither one of us. I remember you know we wanted this is how we ended up in Orlando. We, we wanted to go to full sale. You know what I'm saying? We want to go to Full Sail, but, you know, Full Sail is $6 million or whatever. We couldn't get the the loans, grants, whatever, to do it. Right. Um, and then I ended up getting a scholarship to UCF um, on some math vibes. Um, and so I just think it's hilarious that, like, neither one of us ever got accepted to any higher education for music. Um, and now Tarek is an instructor at Full Sail, and I'm a musician who has worked everywhere. So, <laughs> you know, it, it just, you know, it's a shout out to my dad. And, um, you know, I, I hope to the same way further what is possible for my son the way my dad did, you know. I have no words. <laughs> I have no words. Um, it is something to be able to to raise a child in a in a home uh, such as yours, where you have two loving parents that exist together. Um, it, it is a blessing, and to be able to raise a free child, a free child, um, free from yeah. the stress of yeah. you know what we're going to do tomorrow, how we're going to get next day. Um, I, I understand. I know that life. And so to see where you all are um, as a family is a beautiful thing. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. And to, mm-hmm. to um, bring this show to a close, we always ask a question of our guests. Right. And that is what? Um, your top yeah. five. Um, top, since you're a musician. <laughs> top five albums or artists i know i'm so sorry i'm so sorry we always put people on the edge because you know like we most of the people that we've spoken to have been authors so we always ask them their top five favorite books of all time Uh, so we want the listeners to know that that this might not be um james's uh 
top five to it might be for today it might change tomorrow it might change time you get off this zoom call and be like oh man i, I love somebody this. i forgot yeah. about this one um but yeah i see albums as books they all tell stories okay top five albums which are definitely going to change right after i get off this call um i i gotta i gotta start with midnight marauders um just because of how significant it is to me in my life um Damn, uh, this is such a real question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely got to throw in there uh, Fantastic Volume 2 by Slum Village. Um, Jay Dilla is my favorite ever. And so he's my biggest influence. Um, and so that was the album that I feel like defined how much of a genius he is. Um, whew, gotta go there. All right, uh, Mad Villainy, uh, by Madlib and and Doom. Um, they just broke every rule ever, and it was, <laughs> and you know, and it was. I mean, I clearly am, you know, inspired by Doom, uh, in a variety of ways. Um, and Mad Lib is just, you know, a fucking genius. Um, man. Oof, okay. Voodoo by D'Angelo. Um, I mean, that album is just, it's just flawless. You know, it's just, it's, it's sonically, songwriting, production. It is one ball of emotion that you just got to get through when you listen to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's like the words come like after the hundredth listen. Before then, it's just like a direct intravenal like injection of emotion. Um, and if in the last one, ah, what's the last one? Um, damn, this is gonna be tough. Um, oh, this is so hard, man. Uh, um, <laughs> so now nah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm bring. I'm gonna bring somebody to the table that deserves it. Um, Cosmogramma by Flying Lotus. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. Okay. Flying Lotus, he's a fucking genius. Um, and I think he is one of the last just fucking geniuses in the game. He. Yeah, when you talk about electronic and beat, you know, music, he's the godfather of whatever it is now. Um, and, you know, he's one of the few producers mm. that I, of now that I listen to and I feel the same way I felt listening to Dilla uh, early on, where it's kind of like, I don't know how he did that. I can listen to this a million times. I don't know how he did that how he came up with that, you know, he's just a, he, he embodies, I think, how we first started off this conversation where it's like this magical sound, you know, this imaginative, curious sound. Just play Cosmogramma. It literally starts off sounding like a kid in a toy room who just turned on like a machine and all the lights start flashing and the kid starts looking around and then he gets injected into space and he's floating around like, like that that's how the album starts you know 
And anytime I, anytime I'm like, all right, bet, I got to solve a problem in life. I put on that album. That album helps me imagine, you know. Um, so shout out Flying Lotus for entering today's top five. You know. <laughs> Hey. Oh, there you have it that's a solid solid list Whew. and flying lotus like his visuals that accompany his music it, it stirs my soul to see his stuff and his short film like everything is just it like you said it is magical mm-hmm. so i think you have a, a good list there even if you go back and you change it i'm sure some of those will repeat uh several times throughout the rest of your life um thank you so much for spending this time with us we we greatly appreciate it um james aka make bad bees aka nemo forever in my heart Um, (laughs) we we uh hope that you will come and visit us again anytime anytime mask or no mask you are more than welcome uh, to to come on to the show and talk about whatever whatever project. I don't care if it was like I just made this five second tune. <laughs> I, I want to hear it. We will do that. No, I'll say this too. You know, I um, I really appreciate um, you know, you two reaching out and pulling me onto your show. Um, I. I deny a lot of people access to me just because I don't believe. And I just think that they just want to stand next to the black man who's doing something and probably say, I'm cool with black people or, you know, whatever. And, you know, but like, um, you know, I never, I, I just always felt like, Oh, this is going to be fun because like, I just, I don't know. I have to, just knowing you and knowing you, Veronica, and then just knowing the platform and the reasons for it and going and checking out stuff or whatever, you know, I'm just all about sincerity. I'm all about sincerity. Like, I, and I feel like I'm a good, like, I can kind of see it when it's really there, you know? Um, and I promise, like, even if I disagree with you, if you're sincere and like real, I, I mean, like, those are the people I want to talk to the most. So I'll say this, like, you know, um, thank you. It's an honor to be here um, on you guys' platform. And like, anytime you guys want me and you know, around for something, you know, um, hit me up. Like, I, I'd love to be around and be involved. And, uh, you know, maybe even in person, you know, at some point when I get down to the, to the, to the Florida zone, you know, so, yeah. Most definitely, most definitely. Thank you so much. Um... I was really inspired by your story. I admire you so much as a person and I admire you more as a father. Thank you. I think it's it's hard to raise a good human being. Um, so keep doing what you're doing because I know through his eyes, you are a superhero. You are doing it. You, you've exceeded already his expectations. But I think as a parent, it's hard for us to see that but I think you're you're up there you're like the the highest out of everybody in his list it's like daddy and mommy pops mom or whatever I'm getting choked up because I I felt the love and I'm just like when I saw the picture of your son I'm like this is why he's doing all of this Mm. this is the reason 
It absolutely is. This is the end all and be all after God. <laughs> I'll just say this. When, when, in 2020, when I thought, when things started happening to me and I began to question how long I was going to be here, mm-hmm. um, all I could think about was what I was leaving him and my wife. And, and specifically, so that way, what I had done in my life could continue to bless their lives. Um, that's all I could think about. Everything else, I don't care. You know, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankfully not in that scary of a situation anymore. Um, but, right. you know, um, I, I, this could start a whole other conversation, so I'm going to just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I feel you, though. Like, I work in the healthcare realm, but I also am not, like, the most prepared when that time happens. So yeah. all the fears keep coming. And like you said, it's a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, whew. but rest assured, you are on the right path and you're paving the path for your son and for every black child that walks through the streets of Memphis. Thank you. And so again, thank you. And we're going to let you go because we know you ready to do some more work in that beautiful room there. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Thank you so much. Until we meet again, All right. take care, okay? You too. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let us explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast and listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.